Your Van Seas Weekly, the home for info and insight on the Vancouver Canadians and all Toronto Blue Jays minor league prospects. Hosted by Greg Ballack and Charlie Kasky. It's time for episode number eight of the Your Van Seas Weekly podcast. I'm Greg Ballack, and joining me over the phone today is Charlie Kasky, as uh, we've only been about four or five days since our last podcast, but a lot has happened, and we, we really need to get this one off our chest. Um, Charlie, how's it going? It's going very well, Greg. I'm. Uh, this is the second time I've podcasted from the Sunshine Coast, sitting on the deck, uh, looking out the ocean, drinking a dead frog nut brown ale. Good Alder Grove Brewery, so local stuff. I wish my view was as good as yours right now, but right now it's just a, uh, a street in Richmond, unfortunately. Well, you're you're the hard worker of this <laughs> of this tandem. Uh, we've talked about this many times. Um, the, the brains behind the operation. So sorry, <laughs> sorry to hear that. That's uh, okay. I'll I'll survive somehow. It's a it's a long weekend. So. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, you've, you seem to have started it early, but uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to get some work done here first on the podcast. We're going to have uh, an interview you did uh, a few days ago with Chris Sherwin, um, which is very interesting. Everyone should definitely listen into that because um, you guys cover a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, as I said to him, I, I may even send it off air to him before we started. I'm, you know, I, I tend to ramble, as, as everybody should be well aware of no. by now. Um, and yeah, I think near the end of the podcast, I, or sorry, the interview, I say something along the lines of last question, but I'm going to use that term very loosely because <laughs> I think I used last question with Jason Parks about 15 times. Um, and it, it, it sort of works out that way with, uh, with Chris as well. And what kind of stuff do you guys cover? Because I, I listened to it and, uh, he, he's a, what does he study? It's, he's a biomechanics major. Yeah, he was he was a mechanics biomechanics major and and sort of like he says in the interview, I won't I won't give away too much. You know, he just you know for he he was doing some weightlifting and, and he decided to take a, a bit of a closer look at, at at biomechanics of how it works for weightlifting and then that sort of just transferred, you know, his natural interest in baseball. He started to take an interest in in the mechanics of pitching and started reading voraciously on the subject. Any research paper or online kind of forum that he could get his, get his hands on and you know he'll he'll readily admit he's not an expert he doesn't work in the field but mm-hmm. you know as far as one of the guys on the internet and twitter and and, and uh, the blogosphere he you know i think he knows more than most um so he he was a very interesting and I've, we've been wanting to get him on for a while obviously yeah. we had the issue last week where you know we both of us couldn't talk to him because the, the thunderstorms back east knocked out his power mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sent him some video of the Seas pitchers and, and, and specifically Miguel Castro because I still think he's got a very odd kind of delivery and I just wanted to take a look at it. But it wasn't just Castro we discussed. We, uh, uh, it was plenty of pitchers within the system. Yeah, you guys covered a lot of the, the major prospects at least and, and got his opinion on, on if they're uh, seen as a, a proper pitching um, technique or if he sees any issues with some other technique, which is uh, which is a big deal. Well, yeah, and and you know what? It's an unnatural motion pitching, isn't it? So mm-hmm. for the for the most part, you are going to find issues or, or red flags, as they as they say. Um, it's just a matter of and and this he gets into this a bit. It's it's modeling what could happen down the road and how you counteract that and. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of major league teams these days, you know, which I find absolutely shocking, are not 
that proactive when it comes to managing and and looking forward as far as injury you know preparation is concerned mm-hmm. um, and he used the words modeling like we use all these sort of projecting methods for you know trying to trying to figure out what a player is going to do in a, in a season whatever zips or Oliver all these projecting systems but teams don't use similar sorts of technology um, and sort of data warehousing for for injury prevention or you know injury prediction which uh, you know considering the technology out there is is absolutely amazing it's a pretty fascinating discussion so i definitely uh, recommend sticking around and listening to that later on in the podcast because you guys did a, a good thorough run through <laughs> <laughs> is that code for you talk too much again charlie no it's it's code for <laughs> hey if you want to spend 45 minutes listening to some good baseball talk we got it exactly. right here <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's first let's get to the uh, the Canadians news from this week, and there were, there was a lot of it because um, Castro, Miguel Castro, who we mentioned earlier, has been moved up. He's moving up the chain, and we didn't really expect that because he's still pretty young. But um, in your recent blog post on yourvanseas dot com, you, you broke down in statistics, and you you mentioned that one one poor inning that he had. Uh, if you take that out, his numbers are are sensational. He had in fifty innings, seventeen walks, fifty two strikeouts, and a one point zero eight ERA, three point zero one FIP uh, in fifty innings. That's a pretty big sample size. You know, not huge sample size, but enough to tell you, you know, this this league was a little bit uh, under his level. I think. Yeah, you know what I uh, I've been saying all along. If people tweeted me asking me, you know, when do he's going to he's going to be pushed up, and I thought, you know, there's no way they're going to do it this year because not only is he he's young, he's 19, but he's also he's quite inexperienced. He, uh, you know, I think they signed him a bit older than some of the other guys, and he hasn't thrown a ton of innings. You know, he was in the Dominican Summer League for two seasons, I believe. I don't have my computer in front of me. Um, so I really expected them just to give him a full season in in the Northwest League just to work on. He's still, I, like I said in my article that you just you just mentioned, you know, there's still some things to work on. His slider's still a bit flat. He's not getting on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit slurry. His changeup, he does noticeably slow his arm speed down. Um, and the more advanced he gets, hitters will pick up on that. Um, so I just thought they were going to give him a full season in Vancouver to, to sort of iron out some of those inefficiencies. But you know, I, I'm nitpicking here. He's got a mid-90s fastball, yeah. which he can ramp up to the high 90s. Um, you know, and when he hits his spots, which, like I, when I charted him those two times, he he hits his spots more often than not with his fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, you, you mentioned the stats. He's too good for this league. I just kind of thought that they would allow him, you know, work with Jeff Ware, work on and sort of getting on top of his breaking ball um down here but you know hey i'm i'm happy that the blue jays have sort of taken a, a bit more of a controlled aggressive approach with their pitching yeah. prospects this year um which they haven't done in years past um and fair play you know i think i think the midwest league will be a bit of an eye opener for him i think he's going to have to get on top of those breaking balls um but you know working with and this is no slight on on jeff Ware, but Vince Horseman is is a great pitching coach as well Working with him, you know, working up in Lansing at a higher level will will be be fantastic for him. And I mean, you know, I'd like to say the sky's the limit for him. I'm definitely, I think I had him in my top 30 prospect list this past offseason. I had him at 18th. You know, he's a a dead cert 
top ten Blue Jays prospect come come 2015 off season. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does in, in Lansing. Um, I can't wait. And from speaking with Jeff Ware, and you mentioned in this this in your article as well, um, one of the biggest things that he might get uh, you know picked up, picked apart up in the the higher leagues uh, is his arm speed slowing down with that changeup and and hitters that are a little more experienced like uh, like you'll find uh, you know soon when he gets the double A for sure you'll see some of these big prospects that can pick up on that arm speed change. Uh, and although he does have a good changeup, they're going to be able to time it and and hit it a lot harder than he's getting hit down here. Yeah, I mean, as you move up to to the full season leagues, it's it's not necessarily that they've got better talent, but they're they've got a greater ability to make adjustments. Is what I've always been yeah. told about the hitters as as uh, the higher you go. I mean, there's some very talented hitters in the Northwest League, but you know, short season ball, they've been extended for two months. You know, maybe they're not making adjustments as as quickly as they do up in the Midwest League and then Florida State and, and Eastern League. So, you know, hitters there will will have will have heard. You know, coaches will have a scouting report and, and they'll probably be able to adjust um, a bit quicker. Which is why I don't think, you know, we can expect the lights out statistical side, you know, from Castro. But mm-hmm. I think it'll be fine. Um, and, and I think it'll be good. I think it'll be a bit of an eye-opener for him that you know he, he's going to get hit a bit when he goes up there, and he's going to realize that he needs to really work on these secondary offerings. And you know, Vince in, will help him, and then I'm sure he'll go to the instructional league after, and, and all the coaches there will work with him. And, and you know, I'm guessing that this is getting ahead of ourselves. He'll, he'll be start the season back in Lansing mm-hmm. next year. But you're looking at possibly Florida State League, later on the season and maybe 20. So yeah, exciting times, but like you say, the hitters, I think will just adjust a bit quicker to them. But mm-hmm. well, from a selfish perspective in Vancouver, it, it sucks to see him go. You want to see a prospect like this stay, uh, especially when the, the Canadians haven't clinched a playoff spot yet. Um, but looking at it from a more uh, organizational approach, uh, it's a win-win situation. Cause if he goes up to Lansing, he gets hit around a bit you can take him aside and say, you know, okay, we need to do some work here. Here's what you need to work on, and let's start seeing some results. Because you know he has the fastball, and you know he he's going to develop into a good pitcher. Um, but you need he need he might need to see uh, guys start you know hitting him to to realize that he needs to make some changes if he wants to move up uh, even higher. Um, and then if if he does, you know, not get hit around, if he goes up there and just lights it up, uh, that bodes even better for his future. Yeah. What you said exactly is win-win. I mean, he—the big thing about him is—is is he's been able to control the strike zone. You know, I'm sorry, how many walks did he have? Seventeen in fifty. Seventeen innings. in fifty innings. You know, so I think I—I I changed. As I said, I did my creative counting again, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio was above three. If you take out that third of an inning, yeah, sorry, when he walked. seventeen with fifty with the inning taken out. I think it's nineteen and fifty and a third. Yeah, without. exactly. So. You know, whereas, you know, the other two big prospects we thought we had in our hands here in Vancouver, uh, Alberto Torado and, and Jairo Labor, they've got the same stuff. They just, they haven't found, you know, what what works for them mechanically and, and the ability to repeat their delivery to throw strikes consistently, whereas Castro obviously has. Now, whether that changes come the Midwest League and, and he thinks that he's going to start nibbling a bit more, I don't know. But at least he's got that base to work from. That you know, he's got a bit of confidence that he can throw strikes. 
Um, and that's the big thing. And yeah, like you say, selfishly, I I would have loved to have charted him one, two, three more times, however many times. But you know, I'm I'm thrilled to see him move up. Um, you know, because it, it only can bode well, hopefully, for his future. And from a developmental perspective as well, that one third of an inning that he he completely collapsed in. Um, we, we've heard that it was a bit of an emotional thing and that he was being squeezed a little bit uh, and he got frustrated and it just kind of, you know, the spiral went down in that inning. And now, he's, well, now he goes up to another league and he's got to prove himself all over again. You can't afford to, to be that frustrated youngster anymore and, and it can help him develop. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's got that experience under his belt and, and I spoke to Jeff Ware after it and he said, you know, we had a really good meeting. Obviously, he didn't tell me the specifics of it, mm-hmm. but... We had a really good meeting after that after that particular outing, and you know we worked out what what he needs to do and how he needs to be more kind of have the ability to harness his emotions a bit more on the mound. Um, which you know young pitchers are going to be emotional. It's I mean I remember Tom Robson last year he used to get pissed off if he missed his spot. So mm-hmm. you know it's it's going to happen. It's how they can, and that's part of the job of of a pitching coach at, at this level. Is, is helping them sort of kind of get their maintain their focus on the mound. It's not all mechanics. It's it's mental as well because um, these guys are used to dominating. And you know, Castro, we don't know, but you know, American Canadian pitchers they're they're used to dominating coming out of high school, yeah. and then they come to pro ball and and they start getting knocked around a bit. You know, so you you know they've obviously got the ability to be there. It's just you know mentally, can they stay focused? Mm-hmm. And for that all-star team, uh, Castro was announced as one of the, the pitchers that made it, but he's been replaced, obviously, since he got called up. Uh, Joe Lavecchio is going to replace him in that game. And Lavecchio's done quite well for himself as well, 14 games. Uh, 1.83 ARA. And doesn't really give much else information in this in the press release about him, but seems yeah, like a formidable so, guy to slot in there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's thrown the ball very well. Um, you know, the, the C's bullpen, and we'll touch on this in a bit about the, the blow-up the other night, has it, been very hit and miss. Um, there's been some very, very good outings, and then there's been some terrible outings. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew Case, the, uh, the Canadian kid from New Brunswick, he's been added too, I guess, to replace Starlin Surreal, who was promoted prior to our last podcast, um, so just over a week ago. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's why we we kind of mentioned on the last podcast that it's great that they're sending seven all stars, but it's a bit of a you know it's short season baseball. It's a yeah. bit of a crap here. Yeah, yeah. Anyone can have a good half half season, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they need you know there's only four teams in each division. They need to make up the, <laughs> make up yeah. the team somehow. Well, there have been f- four games since we last did a podcast, and they're playing one right now. And Wazalewski's. Or Wazaleski or Wazaluski? I'm calling him Wazi. Yeah, Wazi. I have with names. <laughs> he's two and four on the year. He's on the mound now, and they're up uh, against Boise, six to two, in the fifth inning. And he's oh, pit- wow. he's pitched all right. His ERA's started at five, oh, just under six coming into the game. Um, but he's got uh, four innings now. Struck out two, walked one, two earned runs against. So not not a bad game for him. I guess a good bounce back game. He's had a couple rough ones in a row. Well, yeah, he's had four or five rough ones in a row. Yeah. His last start, he, had, he didn't even get out of the first, did he? So, right. you know, I, I wrote a I wrote an article on the the C starting rotation, and you take out Surreal, and you know that was this was pre Castro. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some starting to see, see some cracks with Laborte hit and miss, and then Wazalewski was starting to get knocked around a bit. Um, 
you know, things were looking a bit not dire, but not great. So it's good to see Wazalewski's uh, Wazi is bouncing back a bit tonight. And you'll like to hear this because you lose one star player in Castro, but the, the Canadians did gain somebody uh, in, in the form of Gunnar Height, uh, who is today three for three on the night. And, well, yeah, then they're, two, they're two runs last night. In. He, they, the Canadians only had a handful of hits last night, but he had two of them with um, two doubles on his debut. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd written an article, uh, I don't know what it was, a week 10 days ago, sort of saying, I don't know why he's still in the GCL. He's yeah. a made-for-Vancouver player, you know, <laughs> drafted junior junior out of college, 21 years old, kind of, a, you know, fits the profile of a bit of a utility player, mm-hmm. which... You know, obviously, we love here in Vancouver. For I think you mentioned reason. it on the last podcast, though. You couldn't understand why he wasn't here yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so he's obviously making a bit of an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, called up a couple of days ago. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not going to call him a prospect <laughs> right off the hop, being a 13th round pick or whatever he was. But, you know, good to see him, good to see him here and good to see him doing well so far. There, there have been four games since our last podcast: two against Boise, two against Spokane. They're two, and Canadians are two and two against in those games. Um, but there was one game that stood out uh, as a bit of a frustrating one, and it kind of harkens back to a game that the Canadians had earlier in the year. Um, this one against Boise uh, on Wednesday, they lost eight to seven after being up seven to nothing to start the game. Yeah, it was a good. It was a good start by um, Laborte, wasn't it? And I think, like I said, I don't know if my computer in front of me. I'm on the deck drinking a beer. Um, to <laughs> rub it in, keep rubbing it in, Charlie. Yeah, I might as well just mention as many. <laughs> it's like, what's it, what's it called when you do radio and you keep having to mention who you're interviewing? Your name dropping? I don't no, know. You, no, you're here. Um, uh, we're joined by blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's yeah. a specific term. I'm going to call this the I'm in the, the radio and I, I don't even know what that's called. I'm going to call this the dead frog beer term. Um, the... Uh, but I think it was Toronto that got knocked around massively. But yeah, yeah. it's it, you know these are the sorts of games that you look back on maybe at the end of the at the end of the half and think, oh geez, you know, was it that one game that that turned the tide? And yeah. like you said, that Salem Kaiser game, you know, it was the first series of the of the season. They'd won the first three away to Salem Kaiser and were up nine one or something like going into the sixth or seventh inning and ended up losing ten nine and. You know they tie at the end of the first half, twenty five wins a piece with a piece with Spokane. And you look back at that game and think, well, did that make the difference? Yeah. So that was the one. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> obviously, one game did make the difference, but you know maybe they probably came back and won a few games that maybe they shouldn't have. But you never remember those games. You always remember the one that they gave away. So at the end of this half, are we going to be talking about this game in Boise? You know they they came back with a nice bounce back effort last night. Miguel Castro pitched his last great game with the season they eked out a 2-1 win but you know there's there are two games behind Everett and this is Everett winning the, the second half is obviously the worst worst case scenario because that'll leave the seas out on the outside looking in and Wednesday against Boise uh Labort did pitch pretty fantastic five innings only two hits six strikeouts only blemish is he had four walks in the five innings well, yeah, it seems like he can't go in anything without walking a guy, which is <laughs> the frustrating part about about Hiro. You know, he's he's got such great stuff, and if you see it up close, you realize what people see in him. You know, you see his his height, you see his pretty easy, and and we get into Hiro's delivery a bit with with Chris. You know, he, he's got a bit of a head snap, which is worrying. Um, but 
you know, we it's not it's not the the end of the world, but for whatever reason, he's just struggling to find repeat his delivery and, and find the strike zone. And last week in the Spokane series, they did lose it. They lost two out of the three games. But when you really think about it, it, it if you're going to lose a series to anyone, Spokane probably is a good one because if Spokane wins the second half again, um, the tiebreak is the team with the best winning percentage throughout both halves. And Canadians have a pretty good pretty good lead on a lot of the teams after they're you know they tied for the first place in the first half. Oh yeah. Um, so if they do they, lose they, two out of three, <laughs> if you lose two out of three um, to Spokane, it's probably not the worst team to to lose a series to. No. You know, if we want to get into the the, the different machinations already you yeah. know, of, of how they can make the playoffs, but yeah, you know they had yeah somewhere like an eight game lead over Everett or, mm-hmm. or Tri Cities, whoever finished third. You know, both both those teams were were well back from Spokane and Vancouver. So, like I said, you know, it you like I said in the last podcast, it would be difficult to to see Vancouver not make the playoffs just because them and Spokane were head and shoulders above. The other two teams, so you would think one of those one of those two teams will win the second half, and then if it is Spokane again, Vancouver will will take the next spot with the next best record. But it's like baseball, man. We've seen a, a flurry of moves from Toronto today. Who knows? Maybe Everett gets a bunch of players from their uh, who who they got in the Appalachian League, the Pulaski Mariners, and 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 make a run, or some guys come down from the Midwest League. I don't know. We'll find out. This week, yeah. I guess, or in the next few weeks. Well, in the next few weeks, yeah. And the Canadians are still obviously away, and they're not going to be back in Vancouver for quite a while until the 10th of August. So we still have nine days after this before we see any more action in Vancouver. Well, I know, and it's, it's such a pain in the, in the ass because it times out with the Blue Jay series in, in Seattle. Yeah. So. You know, I'm dying for some for some seas baseball, and I'm going to be going head down to Seattle to see the see the Jays. But I unfortunately won't be able to go to any of those because I work until six p.m. at the station. All right. and... Well, maybe I'll call in for another podcast. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll probably be going down, down to the Canadians games those weeks. So while everyone's ah. while everyone's out in Seattle, I'll be in Vancouver watching Canadians play Tri City. Yeah, well, not so bad. <laughs> and you never know, we Matt Smorrow might be up. So you keep thinking that, eh? Well, he's pitched really well. Smoral, Smoral. We're 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 a bit dubious on the. Uh, we're not sure exactly how to pronounce his name. So sorry. Um, I yeah. I well, it, it just kind of it fits with the Jays' sort of more aggressive policy with the pitchers this year. He's pitched well in Bluefield, man. He's he's striking out something like eleven per nine. Um, not walking a ton. Not getting hit all that hard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, why not? You take away one of the aces, you got to give us another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You take it away, you got to you got to give us. And <laughs> there's been no corresponding move for Castro yet. I mean, I know. Shoot, Ryan Barecki came up the other day, um, so I don't know if he's going to slot right in and, and fill that rotation spot. But you would think there would be another move coming. Well, we'll find out. Uh, did you want to touch on anything else other than what we did before we get to the interview, or? No, I, just, I mean, as I said in the piece I wrote today, you know, not only was I, I didn't touch on any of the moves because I didn't have much time to write about it, but along with Castro, there was an absolute flurry of of activity today. So it, mm-hmm. it was kind of a fun day watching Twitter, you know, and not only with, you know, Taylor Cole going from Deneen to New Hampshire, Kendall Graveman, who's 
been absolutely helium this year. He's now gone from New Hampshire to Buffalo, his fourth team of the season, starting his hat collection. Mm-hmm. Um, Roberto Osuno, who we, who we were all worried about after he made that one inning start for the GCL Jays on the 7th of July and then was shut down again. And, you know, obviously the Jays are absolutely military with the information <laughs> they release. You know, everybody was kind of, you know, on Twitter, like, what's wrong? Is he, is, is the elbow acting up again? Or are they just resting him? He was activated and pitched, uh, started for the Dunedin Blue Jays today, mm-hmm. who also had Brett Lowry and Cole Gillespie in the lineup. So very I, exciting I li- to see him. Yeah. Him, man. Oh, man, I listened to it. And, you know, I was following Chris King you know, at Stats King, who's a writer for BP, the Florida writer, and, and hopefully we can get him on the podcast soon. He was live tweeting it, and it just sounded money. So, Second inning was a little bit choppy, but uh, first inning well, looked like he just blew everyone away. Right, he just blew it. And then the, in the third inning, he, he he finished off a couple of guys with a changeup that um, Chris King said, you know, the, the hitters had no idea. <laughs> so, it you know, we're talking about as soon as he threw his first pitch, he was automatically he was the youngest pitcher in the Florida State League. Wow. And that's what people forget about him. Is, and he's had you know, Tommy he's, John surgery. He's had Tommy John. <laughs> he's missed the year, and he's now the youngest pitcher in the Florida State League. Wow. Um, and I speculated a bit about it on Twitter that, you know, if he finishes off the season well, he's got a full month now and playoffs. The Denise Jays have already qualified. They won the first half. And then maybe goes to the Arizona Fall League to up his innings. Yeah. We could be looking I at a twenty-year-old so. pitcher in New Hampshire next year. Wow! So you know, Norris, you would think would move up to Buffalo, and all of a sudden we go from a system that's kind of got a few wild cards in the lower levels to a pretty steady progression. Because you know, you expect Sanchez to break with the Jays. Stroman's already established himself as possibly the best pitcher on the Jays staff. Sanchez, and then Norris one step away, and Asuna two. So pretty exciting stuff, really. Bodes well for the future. you got young guys like that making their way through. Yeah, and obviously the, there was no moves made at trade deadline, which I'm, you know, we can talk about this another time, I'm not altogether that unhappy with, really. Yeah, I was going to mention, we should probably touch on the, the trade deadline. That was well, the other thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think a lot of Jays fans, I missed it. I, I was sort of trying to do some work, and I you know, obviously these big moves are going down and Twitter is exploding. And I find sometimes that when Twitter just is like that, it just overwhelms you and, and mm. you can't get the information, you know, sort of succinctly like, like you would hope. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I kind of was, I, I didn't really get a good feel for, it, but I guess a lot of Jay fans were pretty pissed off that, the, you know, they didn't go and make a, a move, especially since the Yankees added a bunch of, you know, bit pieces really for not a lot. Um, and you know, I'm I'm pretty happy. I think they've they've got three excellent players that are due to come back fairly soon. Obviously, Rymolds came off the deal and, and made a bit of an impact last night. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not worst case scenario. There's there's some pieces coming um, through the pipeline. Um, and and I think they're going to help out sooner rather than later. Some people would say it sounds like you're uh, drinking a little bit of the Rogers Kool Aid there, Charlie. Well, no, I'm yeah, <laughs> I, I you know I I'm still a bit befuddled by the fact that they're you know, but who knows? I mean, we I don't know. Maybe Rogers did say you can have this money, and Anthopoulos didn't like a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I who knows what went went down? You know, I that, and that's the thing. I think it's it's really really hard to speculate. Some people um, would say, yeah, right. Others would well, say, yeah, I guess Antonopoulos is, you got to listen to what he says, and that's what he says happened. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, for, for those that 
for having read the article, I think a lot of people hit on it. Andrew Stoughton really wrote a, a great piece over at Drunk for Day Fans, kind of going through going through the whole topic and kind of looking at it from a different angle. So it, it's well worth a read. Yeah, it's I, I'm not. I don't have a huge problem with not trading any of the any of the prospects. I think um, you know the Jays obviously done what they've done up to this point with the roster that they have. Um, they did add. It's not like they did nothing on you know the, le- the week leading up to the trade deadline. They obviously did uh, the Valencia trade and and yeah. a bunch of other minor moves. And there's still the non waiver deadline. They could still you know pick pick a reinforcement up for the bullpen or, or you know probably won't be a major piece. But hey. You know, when does Anthopolis ever make major moves? You know, maybe once in a once a, once a year, maybe he'll he'll make a major player trade, right? So well, it's yeah, tough to expect that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's still plenty of pieces out there. I mean, I know they were speculating about on the broadcast tonight, Buck, old Buck and Tappy, that <laughs> Philadelphia is going to be big time sellers come next month, so or yeah. this month. Um, yeah, there's, there's still time, absolutely, and and they're in a good spot right now. They're in, they're in a playoff position. They're only a game and a half behind Baltimore. I think Baltimore have already won tonight. I'm just looking at the TV now. It looks like the Jays are down to their last out in Houston. So yeah, that could straight. go back to uh, two and a half games. But still, you know, with with the lineup they've been running out for the past 10 days, they're not in a bad spot at all. And it's not usually the, the major name that makes a huge impact in the playoff time. It, it could be, a, you know, a Cody Ross, right? <laughs> a guy that could very well be traded at the before the waiver trade deadline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You never know. It's uh, baseball is a, a funny game, and the playoffs are a bit of a crapshoot. As uh, Valencia I, struck out here just a second ago, and the Jays. Have, yeah, I just saw that. I don't know what he was thinking about taking that for ball four because that was <laughs> that was strike three. Anything close? <laughs> you yeah. yeah, you know, and, and Billy Bean obviously is the one that sort of coined that. The playoffs are a crapshoot. All I can do is get them there. Um, Just load up on aces is what he's doing. And he's the one that's gone out and made the boldest moves of all. So, yeah, who knows, man. It's, it's a funny game, and that's why I love it. <laughs> all right, well, let's let's transition here into your, your interview with uh, Chris Sherwin of Blue Jays Plus. Uh, I think it's about time we we get into that. Um, yeah. Anything to, to preamble it, or should we just get right to it? No, let's get right to it. As I said, you know, he's we 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 focus a lot on on the mechanics and 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 sort of a lot of we talk about a lot of pitchers within the Blue Jays organization and you know try and touch on why some major league teams kind of aren't a bit more forward thinking when the technology's there and you know obviously the the budget for having a, uh, this mechanical research isn't huge considering you know what they spend on on player salaries and such. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's a very interesting interview, and, and, and Chris is great. Um, so yeah, let's see, let's get to it. Yeah. To make up for last week, here's uh, Charlie Kasky earlier this week with Chris Sherwin of Blue Jays Plus. Right, we're joined with uh, Chris Sherwin of Blue Jays Plus. Uh, Chris, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, now, the reason why I was so desperate to get you on, and as we mentioned last week, um, thunderstorms kind of. Uh, didn't help us out. We were uh, we were hoping to have you with uh, when Greg and I were both in studio to chat to us both. But you you obviously are um, a bit of an expert in in pitching biomechanics. You've you've coached, but can you give me a bit of a, a background of how you got into this sort of aspect of of baseball and and what sort of interests you about it? Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert. I mean, I don't I don't work in the field or anything like that. But uh, uh, well, I uh, I major in. Um, 
in, in kinetics at a uh, university. Uh, I, I started studying uh, biomechanics about uh, six or seven years ago. Uh, I, I, when I was about 16 years old, you know, I kind of got sick and tired of hearing the same old stuff from baseball coaches and whatnot. And I, I thought, you know, there's, I know there's got to be better ways. You know, I, I got into Moneyball around then. And so I started questioning just about everything that I had ever been taught in baseball. And I went through a similar, uh, you know, epiphany later on in life uh, about pitching mechanics. Um, I had always been fascinated by pitching mechanics. I was a catcher my whole life. Um, but I, I really got into pitching mechanics about six or seven years ago. And I just, I, I, to be totally honest, I, I forget how I stumbled across it. Um, I, I was into biomechanics um, from a weightlifting perspective. Um, and I'm assuming that I just stumbled upon something that related to pitching mechanics. And that's how I got into it. Because I just, I cannot remember how I did it. But I just started, you know, diving into, you know, textbook after textbook, you know, research paper after research paper, you name it. For the past six or seven years, I've just, I've just become quite obsessed with it. Well, I mean, given sort of, I mean, you'd know more about this than me, but uh, the, it's sort of a media-driven thing right now of, of Tommy John surgeries and other injuries that that pitchers, especially young good pitchers, which I, I guess is why we're seeing it so much. Whether, yeah, it's, you know, it's called an epidemic, but yeah, whether it's if you look at the numbers, it's it's not really that much of an epidemic. I think it's just you know, so many big name young superstars went down, and all of a sudden it's being called an epidemic when it's it's really not. I mean, two it was a two or three years ago, I believe, that had um, a huge number of Tommy John surgeries. But you know, when Jose Fernandez goes down, everybody notices. So not exactly an epidemic, but certainly certainly an issue. Yeah. And I mean, so your kind of voice right now is, is is quite relevant. I mean, obviously, you know plenty about other baseball stuff as well. You you co-host the um, Blue Jays Plus podcast with you and Ross, who we had on our on our first podcast. Now, I was listening to it a couple of weeks ago. Well, I think it was earlier in July. You had Kyle Body of, of Driveline Baseball on for a very interesting um, conversation. A bit maybe technical um, for for guys like me that are sort of just dipping our toes into the water. Um, but there was a couple of very interesting points, and I've sent you some videos. Obviously, I'm you know, focusing on the Vancouver Canadians. These, we've, got some, we've got some young kids out here that, for different reasons, I think raise questions about their mechanics. Um, and I just wanted to talk to you and, and kind of bring some relevant points that, that Kyle brought up. Um, you know, he, he was talking about Super scapular. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember spinal tilt. Sorry, super scapular is something else for that. I'll bring up later. But a spinal tilt. Um, the easiest way, yeah. The easiest way for the non-technical nerds like me is just spine tilt. Is it's there are. I mean, it's classified in so many different ways. But I think for the general public, it's known as spine tilt. So spine tilt, and, and what I was the the excellent analogy he used during the podcast was, you know, tennis players will often tilt their head. And away and look away from the target, but still be able to get their serves in. Whereas, you know, Hira Laborte here in Vancouver, I noticed his last outing, and I, I sent you a video of him. But it's during his warm up where he's a lot more relaxed. What during his his actual mechanics on the mound, he tends to violently snap his head to the third base side. Which I was guessing he walked five on the night, hit two batters, and I was tweeting out that he's that he's lost his release point. You know, would 
with that sort of delivery, I mean, with that violent head head motion to away from where he's where he's looking to go, which is straightforward. How how does that affect you know his his ability to locate the zone? And if so, how do you correct that sort of mechanical action? Well, you know, I think it I think it depends on on your you know philosophy when it comes to pigeon mechanics. Um, the video that I've seen of him, I, I, I have to admit, I haven't seen a ton of video of uh, Vancouver Seas, but um, the one video that you actually sent me, um, I didn't see that. Again, it, it was it was just warming up, so I, I didn't realize he was doing that um, during games. Um, but I don't actually have too much of a problem with spine tilt unless it is um, pretty drastic, like, say, the 2010 Tim Lincecum, um, where he's essentially bent in half uh, you know there's a lot of theories about about command when it comes to spine tilt or uh, even just you know drifting the head or whatnot you know if, if you're drifting away you're, you're not going to be able to locate and you know it is a lot of it is a myth um, and I think it gets I think it gets tied into with extreme spine tilting like I said 10 minutes ago I think it's a perfect example for 2010 um, you know, he lost a lot of velocity, and that's something that's tied into it as well. Actually, is uh, if you look at Jay Happ with the, with the big club, the Blue Jays, um, he used to be just absolutely bent in half on, <laughs> during his momentum stage uh, mm-hmm. to the plate, and now he's he's a lot more upright. And you can see each year after leaving Houston, his velocity's gone up. So there's, I mean, there's benefits to it. There may be some negatives. I, I think overall it's a pretty big myth unless we're talking about extremes. So it's not something I'd be too concerned about unless it's... It, what you're describing sounds kind of sounds kind of violent almost. So, I mean, I would, I would have to see it, but uh, it does sound slightly concerning. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to see it to be sure. I mean, I, I just noticed it, you know, going from the video I sent you to his actual delivery on the mound, it's a lot more of a head snap than, than there was in, in the bullpen session. Um, and it just sort of for you know I I've seen enough baseball to know when someone's losing his release point and he's he's all over the shop a bit. But I'm just kind of I was trying to pick it out, you know. And and every time you speak to a C's pitching coach or anybody else in the organization about Laborde and numerous other young pitchers, it's always about repeating their delivery, repeating their delivery, and it's it's hard to sort of get a grip on. Well, okay, well, what do you do? when they're not repeating their delivery obviously during game like what can you say what can you get them to do or is it just a matter of right let's get through well, this start well, and during the game I mean during the game is, is definitely not uh, the time to focus on mechanics I mean a lot of it is just kind of like mental you know just try to try to get them thinking straight again because you, you can't go to the mound and give a mechanics lesson it's just it's the absolute worst time for it and, you know, each guy is, is totally different. I mean, if, if he's having trouble repeating his mechanics, uh, there are all kinds of drills that you can do, um, you know, in the offseason or between starts in bullpens and whatnot. Um, but during the game, it's, 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 it's troublesome because you have, to, you have to just go out there and know your guy and just try to get him thinking straight again because you can't, you can't walk out to the mound and and have a, a mechanics briefing. Uh, first of all, it would take too long. Uh, it's just not the right time for it. The will come out and, and break it up. So it's, it's it's a good question, but you know everybody's different. Uh, you know everybody. Some guys aren't very coachable, and it's tough to get through to them with mechanics, with mechanical changes, and drills, and, and everything. There's 
with pitchers and just, I mean, pretty much with anybody, uh, you know, when it comes to things like conditioning, weight training, stuff like that, we're all so unique and pitching is no different. There is no one set of mechanics and there's no one, uh, you know, one drill that is going to fix everybody exactly the same way. It's, it's very individualized. Well, seg- segueing from there to, you, you mentioned coachability and, and working through mechanical issues. Dan Norris is obviously, you know, when, when we had him here, I didn't get to see him much, but speaking to see his pitching coach, Jim Sykowski, you know, he was apparently very good, same thing on the side, but then as soon as he got on the mound, his mechanics just went to shit. Um, yeah, I heard the exact same thing, actually, when he was when he was in A-ball. It was, it was always that, you know, he's, he's a real coachable guy, real great guy and everything like that, but, yeah, he gets between the lines, but he just loses it. Yeah, and you t- you tweeted out during the um, the futures game that you know his his delivery and his mechanics had changed quite a bit since you'd seen him last. I'm, I'm assuming, guessing you know by by how well he's done the last year and a half that it's a positive thing. But can you break down a bit further as to what what you saw different? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it was again it was only an inning, um, but it did uh, you know I, I dug a lot with uh, with different scouts and whatnot to. You know, to see what was what was changing with Norris because we all, you know, we all heard about it, we all read about it, we saw him statistically how he he made the jump and he was finally seen to put it all together. He definitely did some uh, mechanical tweaks. Uh, he was actually one of those guys whose spine tilt was out of control, um, and he also uh, there was a lot of cross body throwing and uh, a close stride. You know, he would, um, he, would, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't stride towards the plate. He would, he would be striding off the first base and. Throwing across his body, it, it's hard to describe in words. A lot easier to do this in person, but um, they eliminated a lot of that. There's another thing too: is he, his front leg was just collapsed whenever he landed. It was just it was a mess. I mean, he was a mechanical mess, and he is uh, the drive to the drive line to the, the plate is, is much more straight now. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't collapse anymore on his foot. He's he's a lot more upright, which. Certain people will tell you is a is a good thing. I don't I don't think it's necessarily a great thing. I just think it's better than what he was doing. Uh, so he, he's definitely eliminated about three uh, pretty pretty, uh, pretty bad mechanical uh, inefficiencies in his delivery. He still I still don't like his arm action, um, but talking about coachability, some pretty drastic changes. Uh, I would I would actually love to write up an article about it and. Uh, just so, just so people can see, like side by side, the differences from uh, not even two years ago, maybe even the beginning of last year to this year. Uh, when I, when anybody says that mechanics can't be changed, you know, this guy's a perfect example of look at the drastic change and now look at the result. Well, yeah, and, and you know, in your last podcast, you had a, a special guest co-host, um, Travis Reitzman, and he. Um you guys were talking about Aaron Sanchez, who has gone through a few mechanical changes. You know, most notably, he seems to be landing more upright now, and, and Keith Law kind of made a big issue about it in the AFL, saying that this this will actually counter is counterintuitive in trying to help him with his control problems um, and makes him a bit more prone to injury. But um, Travis sort of threw a, a bit of a Felix Hernandez comp on him, which, you know, we'd all love to see, but it was mainly in, in regards to, you know, Hernandez has incrementally changed his mechanics sort of every year he's been in the major league. So if, if you've got someone that 
Uh, that's what I understand with, with Sanchez. You've got people saying, well, he'll never develop the command ability enough to be a frontline starter. But if you've got a 21-year-old kid who's coachable, surely he can, you know, learn to, to repeat his delivery and to, you know, I know he's got a lot of movement on his fastball that may he, he may never be able to harness. But if he's willing to work on his mechanics, then surely he can sort of fill that role that we, we all thought he could. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I actually like Aaron Sanchez, and a lot of people are down on him because of that command. Um, I don't I don't think that he has to uh, uh, be a top-notch command guy to succeed at the big league level. Um, we, we've thrown a comp on him, uh, the A.J. Burnett comp on him, um, and I think, it's, I think it's perfect. I think he can walk the ballpark and with his, you know, his his curveball and that, you know, the, the changeup is bad. It's it's much too fast, but it's got a ton of movement. And, you know, when you're hucking in 96, 97 miles an hour with an insane amount of natural movement on it, you know, you're, you're going to miss bats and you're going to induce a hell of a lot of ground balls. So, like, I am not down on Aaron Sanchez like so many people think. Um, <laughs> however, I, I do I do hate his mechanics. I think he's, he's far too upright. Um, his momentum towards the plate. His arm action is just dreadful. He's just, I mean, he was just an injury waiting to happen. And I hate to be that guy who, who says things like that, but it's just, there's so much writing on the wall. Now, during your interview with, that uh, brings me back to the interview with um, with Body um, of Driveline, you know, he said there's no there's no one thing, there's no magic formula or, or key to finding out who's going to be injured or, or, or who's going to, down the road, have, have to have Tommy John surgery. But there must be a few telltale signs, and obviously one of them, you know, Sanchez, you talk about his mechanics. Now, here in Vancouver, we've got Miguel Castro, who's been, numbers-wise, pitching extremely well. But if you look at his delivery, and again, I sent you a bit of video of it, he's he's six foot five. he's got zero muscle on him. Um, you know, he's absolute rake, and he's got this really, really low three-quarter arm slot, and he just slings it across his body with a bit of a cross-fire delivery. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you. Well, yeah, why not? Is, is he going to have Tommy John surgery? Uh, well, I, I don't. I, I never like to answer that answer because uh, that question rather. Um, there are there are glaring red flags in his, in his delivery, absolutely. But it is just it's impossible without a full analysis to to give any kind of projection. Uh, I can say absolutely there are there are red flags that pop out even without any form of uh, video analysis, uh, you know, with, with data and whatnot. Uh, but I can't, I can never say just yes or no. And I, and I think that's 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 something that is often mistaken with uh, biomechanics and uh, just any kind of video analysis or anything like that. Uh, inverted W is something we always hear. Uh, it's just a catchy little thing that got passed around by um, someone who I won't name who doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He took something and 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 you could build off of it. I mean, it's 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 something that I think if you got into this guy's work and read up on that, it will take you somewhere. But don't stay there because it's kind of full of crap. But anyways, uh, the, the inverted W is something that I hate because what happens is uh, people will take a, just a screenshot of one part of a of a guy's delivery and say this guy's going to get hurt. And it's just, it's so obscene to me. There's just, there's so much more to it. Um, and I think that is something that gets lost in 
modern mechanics have people doubt it and they just say, oh, you can't, you can never just predict injury. You just can't do it. So it, it gets ignored. And it's not really what it's it, what it's about. I mean, it's, it's, it's so much more than just looking at a guy, bringing in a guy and taking, pick, taking video of his delivery and then saying, well, he's going to get hurt or not. I mean, it is just so much more than that. And I think uh, you mentioned the, the body interview. Um, I, he puts it perfectly uh, whenever he speaks. And, and he says it's about projections, not about predictions, uh, much like we do in the cigarette community in baseball, uh, you know, with, with zips and whatnot at the beginning of seasons. Uh, you know, we, you're not saying this guy is going to hit this line, but, you know, after you know, years and years of research uh, and data and all that, this is a pretty good idea of projection of what this guy's going to do. It's the exact same thing about mechanics. And it's not just about projecting injury as well. It's about, you know, reading the data, what to do with it. It's about, you know, conditioning, uh, the, the drills, uh, the right diet, the right... It just, it, it's about so much more than just simply saying, here's a screenshot of a guy who's going to get injured or not. So much more. And the Blue Jays, I mean, I guess they're a bit on the the forefront is, as far as the weighted ball program is concerned, but the last article I've read, and, and this is a while ago, I, I didn't have time to research it a bit further before before we spoke, but they're not one of the teams that right now is using sort of video analysis regularly with their pitchers, which considering, I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're developmental program has caused the injuries and you know they've had quite a few TJs with you know Asuna um, Tom Robson Clinton Holland etc etc but you think that you know with the amount of pitchers especially young athletic pitchers that they've drafted they would kind of want to be at the forefront of of the scientific side of 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 trying to map these guys deliveries so that they could project what what may happen down the road and and look to Resolve any inefficiencies that that can be resolved. Um, I just want to get your opinion on on that side of it. Um, you know, it, it, it sort of specifically relates for me because I've I've been DMing to, on Twitter with a with a pitcher in the J system, and he's sort of going through an injury right now that is exactly the same as one he had, you know, a year ago. And I asked him if they if they kind of taken any video analysis of his of his mechanics and his delivery to see if there was an issue there that was causing the problem and, and he said no which kind of struck me as a bit short-sighted and I don't know maybe you know you being a bit more into this this kind of thing you might have a different opinion than I do or or, or something else uh, no absolutely not I uh, I do not think it's short-sighted in the, in the least um, I, I think it's an absolute must the only problem is what to do with it uh, I, I think you know teams don't want to Invest in scary things. Uh, it's that's. I mean, it's it's sad, but it's it's the truth. Uh, they don't want to invest in something they don't understand, and they don't want to attempt to understand the entire process. Uh, there's there's a, there's a team in the big leagues. Uh, I can't say who, uh, but they they have just you know a state of the art uh, six figure biomechanical uh, center, and it goes unused. And it's just it's it's really sad, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and th- this is this is the thing. It's not just I, I get asked this question all the time, and my immediate answer is yes, of course they should they should be you know taking advantage of this research. 
Uh, but it's not simply going out and getting a biomechanical test done. It, well, what comes after that? You know what I mean? Like it's uh, you have to you have to understand all the data and have a game plan going forward. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people will credit they'll, they'll look at teams like Milwaukee and Baltimore who are known to uh, in some way, shape, or form use the podcast. And everyone says, oh, well, we're going to follow these teams and see who gets injured. It's like, well, no, it's, it's not that simple. Um, like I said, with you know with the projection system and stuff like that, um, it, it's not simply who gets injured, who doesn't. And if you know if guys from you know, Baltimore don't get injured, then it must work. And if they do get injured, well, then it's a, it's a crock. It, it's, it's not like that at all. And uh, I say with, with Baltimore, they bring in the... Uh, ASMI, I believe they use them. I'm not sure exactly what, what company they use, but um, they bring in somebody for two days at the beginning of spring training, and they put their pictures through biomechanical panels. Now, going forward after that, is some guys just don't want to do anything. They'll be like, okay, well, here's you know, here's some red flags we saw. Here's some things. Here's some concerns. Uh, you know, these, these are some things we think you should we should tweak and in your conditioning program or your throwing program or your mechanics and some guys will just be like nope I'm not going to do that or I'll do anything but the mechanical changes for just the fear of well the mechanics got me this far and I'll you know I'll try your weighted balls or I will try your conditioning program or I'll change my diet but don't touch my mechanics so that that's something that goes unhurt so you can't just simply say oh well this team uses biomechanics so good for them um, it is just it's on so many more levels than that. And I think that's what's so scary for uh, you know ownership is that are they going to take it to the next level? Send these guys for these uh, uh, these testing, and then uh, going forward with that, are you going to listen to what you're told? And that's something that, quite frankly, a lot of teams and players don't want to hear. Maybe uh, they go in for your fancy testing, but if you tell me something I don't like. Uh, I'm just not going to like it and not, not listen. And there's no point in that. It's, it's like, you know, going to a doctor and the doctor says, you know, you need to get the surgery and you say, well, what the hell do you know? And you storm out of there and don't get your surgery. It's the same kind of thing. Uh, and, and going forward, I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be quite a while before, you know, you see a real impact when it, in, in the game when it comes to this. And I think you're going to see it at the lower levels long before you see it at the, at the higher Right. And speaking of a couple of guys that if, if the Jays had this in place, it would help. And, and this, you know, your, um, the first question you asked Kyle during your guys' interview was, what do you think of, of the Jays' first two um, pitching picks this year? Um, he seemed to be fairly high on Sean Reed Foley's delivery, but wasn't so keen on, on Hoffman's. And Unfortunately, I think the kids distracted me for the next five minutes, so I, I didn't get a, a great read on, on what he said. Can you run through what he what he thought of what what he thought with Hoffman and, and what the problems were? Uh, well, he, well, he didn't really get into too many details on air about his delivery, but um, yeah, he did he did scout him uh, live, and there's uh, yeah, I mean there's there's a classic case of you know arm drag, uh, the, the elbow drag, um, that puts valgus um, stress. Uh, on the unilateral ligament. Uh, you, know, you might have to Google what valgus stress is, but that's kind of like a, a, a big provider in the, in the whole UCL injury 
Um, I mean, there's there's a number of, of red flags, but Hoffman is, is young enough and coming off of surgery uh, that you know, hopefully they can they can pinpoint some of these and work with them. Um, it's just whether or not the Jays are going to actually do anything with it because you know he might he might come back and you know because he was going to be a top five pick if it wasn't for that Tommy John surgery. So they might not do anything with him except you know minor things to. You know, if his command isn't going well or whatnot, you know, pitching coaches might just, you know, change something. But uh, I'm not, I'm not really looking for for any kind of major major change unless they can spot something with their eyes. And your eyes can't spot what biomechanical research would do. Right, and the Jays' third round pick was was an interesting pick as well. I mean, he was a really tall kid that put on. Nick Wells um, put on a bunch of muscle working out with a, a, a wrestling buddy or something like that. Spiked his fastball, and, and you and when we had him on, you know, right around talking about the draft, he said this is the kind of picks that he shudders of sometimes just because here's a kid that, you know, spiked his fastball in his senior year of high school to, to basically get himself drafted. Um, now, I, I said at the time, you know, here's a, here's a tall kid, put on a ton of muscle, up this fastball five six miles an hour whatever it is surely that's a that's an injury waiting to happen but you know that was just me flippantly saying it is 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 that thinking along the right line or could it just be that he's grown into his body a bit and and his mechanics has ironed themselves out it, it'd be tough you know you'd have to i'd have to look at him specifically um do i think uh, a big fastball uh spike no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so necessarily. Um, but again, it, it depends on it depends on the kid, uh, like, you know, the player. Because everybody's just so different. Uh, I, I'd have to look at him personally. Um, I, I never. I have to admit, I didn't. I didn't pay too much attention to this year's draft. Out of the top couple picks, I think I was. I was so excited about Pentecost being drafted, and uh, Reed Foley because um, although I hate his mechanics, he's. Uh, He's got some absolute filth. He got knocked around today, but you know, I, uh, I really enjoy him. So I, I got to admit that I didn't read too much up on the guy that we're talking about. But uh, but no, that that concern it's it's not it's not something that jumps out as me. You know, it's, like it's a huge issue. So um, again, you'd have to you'd have to get him in and, and test it and have a look at his mechanics and all sorts of other factors, his conditioning program and whatnot. You know, because that's, that's another thing that so many guys do. Um, you'll take two guys and be like, well, you know, we'll be side by side on the mound and, you know, where they go wrong with their with their pitching mechanics and everything. And then what nobody asks is, well, what do you do off the field? You know, what's what's your throwing program? What, what do you do, uh, you know, what do you do in between starts? What do you do in the weight room and whatnot? And uh, if, if you look at uh, what, uh, Aiken, see the one who went down, he was a first overall pick or second overall pick. First overall, and they didn't sign him because he had the minimal or the smaller UCL or something like that. Oh, that's right. Yes, this whole Houston debacle. That, that was a right. Um, he trains uh, just you know, some, some real no-nos in the weight room. It's just uh, something, uh, for example, called push jerks, uh, which is an overhead press with a barbell, and you've got it. You've got it rested on your chest, and you kind of kind of jerk with your legs, uh, like you're, you're pushing up. It just gives you a little bit of a extra push to, to, to push more weight and it's just it's dreadful on the shoulders uh, just all kinds of things very very crossfit I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that training style uh, uh, crossfit training program well, yeah, it's, it's, in the off season it's, it's just it's something that's not 
not very good for baseball players. Uh, and these these are the types of things that that biomechanical people will be able to tell you. That's that's what I try to stress is that it's so much more than mechanics. Um, and it always is. And it's the question that everybody asks is, well, what's mechanics and fastball velocity and is mechanics. And nobody asks about anything off-field. And it's it's a serious issue uh, because guys can just be killing themselves in the weight room. And they're being praised for the hard work, the dedication that they put in, but they're doing it all wrong. And they're just harming themselves. And Aiken's a perfect example of that. Now, well, lastly, and I, I say that loosely, um, <laughs> a guy that you, you have seen, I'm, I'm guessing, quite a bit of since he's been out with the Jays for a while now, um, Marcus Stroman. Um, I read something and I saw some video of, of, of someone trying to break down his motion saying that it, it's, it's effectively perfect the way he, he generates his hip torque and, and, and drives through the ball. And that's how, even at a shorter stature, he can generate the fastball he can. Um, what do you see with his mechanics, and, and were you of the mind that he could he could start all along as well? I, I have a lot of faith in Stroman. I really do. Um, I love his mechanics. He's uh, he's got one major red flag in the, in the delivery. He's, he's got some significant arm drag. Um, it's a concern, but there are so many other aspects to his delivery that are just drool worthy. Um, I'm a huge Stroman fan, um, and I think he's gonna I think he's gonna bust a lot of the of the height myths uh, because while well, he does have maybe a flat fastball it, it's just it's, it's got so much it's got so much velocity he can you know he can he can command it his curveball and slider are just ridiculous I, I I do not have him pegged for for the bullpen not yet and, and everybody also points out to the height when it comes to you know can he hold up in innings and again, I bring up off field because it's what nobody does. The guy is an absolute gym rat. Uh, you know, the, you look at his dad; he certainly got the genetics on his side. Oh Jesus! Uh, yeah, I saw him last night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was he was definitely blessed with some uh, with some great genetics. He's like I said, he's a gym rat. He's a, he's a strong kid. Just because he's five eight, five nine, uh, it does not mean that he is not just an absolute tank in the gym. Uh, and he trains properly too. You know, I, I, uh, I've, I've talked to the training facility that he that he works out at, um, and I've seen a ton of video of him of him working out in the gym. And he just he just does everything right. I'm an absolute mark for for Marcus Stroman. I, I love the kid. Well, that's that's good to hear. How, how much can I again? Lastly, again, I mean, you talked about CrossFit not being the the right way to go. Um, how? I mean, how when you you talk the facility, as you say, it's oftentimes it's between the years for these kids, and you know, it's teams. Some of the ones I've I've, I've spoken to in the off season, you know, they they don't seem to get a lot of direction from the team on, on a minor league level of what to do during the off season. Yes, the Blue Jays, the kids are on the weighted ball, but you know, the team's got to trust them to do it. How how important is that that the team sh- should be a bit more hands on during the off season of of exactly what they're doing so that they stay away from stuff like CrossFit and and whatnot that would. Well, I think it's vital. I'm not I'm not sure what uh, what CBA will not have in place for that kind of thing. Um, I, I'm not sure uh, how much how much control a team has uh, over their guys when they're during the winter about what they can and can't do. Uh, I'm almost positive, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people about this very subject, and and they, they have said that, you know, that there are guidelines and 
you know, here's what we want you to do, uh, and you know, they'll get like a full, almost like report, uh, you know, like an off-season to-do list when it comes to the gym and whatnot. But everybody just everybody goes to different places and does their own thing. It seems no matter what, and you know, and, and I think that again, it's it's something so overlooked and yet so vital, uh, and. When we look at you know injury prevention and stuff like that, ownership seems to do things like the, the band-aid effect, like inning limits, and or you know um, uh, pitch counts and stuff like that. These are just you know kind of band-aid effects. When you know poor training and shooting mechanics are pretty much the, the two biggest reasons. I think we can see uh, even pre-game too, the pre-game warm-ups, um, you know, the stretching and things that they do. It's just it's all so it's just all so ancient, and there's just there's so many better things that that teams could be doing. And it, it's it seems like such a, a simple thing to go out and research and, and implement, but it's just it's so different and scary. I mean, whenever I go to a live baseball game. I love going when the gates open so you can go down and see all their warm-ups and you know you just see guys just nonchalantly going through just going through the motions and they're not even really trying they're not even really doing anything and uh, you know and, and that's not to say that they're lazy it's just I mean you, you see so many guys during warm-ups who just who just aren't really warming up all that well like I said you know they've been there for hours and they're just, they're just going through the motions and you know, with, with the ankles and hamstrings and, and so many things, I mean, hamstring injuries yeah, just bug the shit out of me because there are so many things that you can do in the off-season to, to improve a hamstring, and it's, it's often ignored. Um, like, like so many things in the gym, the back is ignored, uh, the, the hamstrings are ignored, little things like that that are easily fixable, and they aren't. And it, we blame them on so many ridiculous things like guys hustling. You know, this is something I hear all the time is, oh, you know, you don't want to run things out if you don't have to because you hurt your hamstring. Look at how many guys, you know, wreck their hamstring running down to first base. It's like, well, it has absolutely nothing to do with running down first base. It has everything to do with, you know, reaching out like you're a cheetah and landing on a bag that's pegged into the dirt the way that it is all funky with your spikes. I mean, that, that has a hell of a lot more to do with anything than, than running speed and whatnot. Um, so little things like that really bother me just because of the, uh, like I said, the band-aid effect almost that, that ownership puts into uh, training protocols and, and off-season work and and just, just about everything when it comes to the, the conditioning and training of, of their players. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of little things, if I hear one more thing about the the Rogers Center's turf and how it causes injuries. I I just want to bang my head on the table because you know it's not the be all end all. The injury producer, um, like you say, it's it's what they do on the field and how they prepare themselves for the game that is That's ultimately. That, yeah, it, that that bothers me a little bit too. I mean, I, I hated. I, I played on high on turf all throughout high school, and it was the old turf, not the the new stuff. Um, and it, I mean, it's awful. I mean, you try to play football on. On uh, on turf and it, and it feels like you're hitting the cement every time you go down. It's it's bad. Yeah. Um, and you know over 162 games. Um, yes, absolutely. These guys are going to complain about it, and it does. It's, you know 
it's, it's definitely a different feel. Um, it's a huge problem which we should absolutely have grasped, but I, I do find that, you know, it is tossed out there as a, as a, as a reason a little too much, I think. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a, a ton of good research to show, you know, ACLs and, and whatnot and ankles and, and hamstring injuries and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's definitely up there when it comes to turf. It's a bad thing. Um, but, you know, when you look at, you look at the Jays this year, I mean, guys get hit in the hand. Uh, Edwin or Jose taking just, just absolute, like I said, the, the cheetah launch to, to first base to beat out a ground ball and landing on the bag of honey. Um, and Carnassian wasn't even there, was he? He was, in, he was away. When yeah, it was, in, it was in Oakland, and it's the same with it's the same with Jose. He did it He did it in, um, I forget where they were, it might have been Cleveland. Um, but, yeah, it, it was on the road, and everyone says, oh, well, you know, it's you know, playing there every day, and, you know, it just, it just caught up to them and whatnot. And so, yeah, I mean, you could you, you could say it's, it's definitely, uh, it wears them down a lot more, but, um, you know, let's be honest, the last couple of years, Blue Jays have been playing there since, you know, 1990. And, you know, it was just the last couple of years that this obscene amount of, of injuries have come about, so... I, I certainly I don't like the turf, and it needs to be taken out of there. Especially as someone who has played on turf and, and can't stand it. Uh, but I just I, I don't like to blame absolutely everything on on Astrodome. Maybe that's unfair. Well, I'll give you a little story before we go. The Hillsborough Hops here in the Northwest League play on not only turf, but there's no dirt cutouts for the bags. So I went down and saw a game. It's just outside of Portland. So my wife and I wanted to uh, discover the Portland beer. And uh, watched a couple of guys sliding into uh, head first in the second base, and all those pellets are flying up everywhere because <laughs> there's no yeah. dirt. It's it's awful that those that newer astroturf those those things those blades of uh, of fake grass they get just absolutely everywhere. Uh, they get in your they get in your cleats and, and, and in your ankles and stuff. It's, it's awful. Yeah. It, it is it is an awful experience. It really is. Every single time I have this conversation, I have to point out that how against AstroTurf I am because it is damaging and it shouldn't be there. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I hate the experience on AstroTurf. I I, I still have scars on my knees from playing uh, high school football in uh, in Hamilton, old Iverland Stadium, Um, and and that was that that old AstroTurf where I mean it's literally just it lined up with the cement, and I mean you scrape your hand across it and you get turf burn. It, it was bad. I mean, you, you try to get, you know, try being a running back and getting dragged down by three linebackers and scraping against that cement. Almost, it's not pleasant at all. Well, I, when I played rugby in Tokyo, we were on that newer style turf, and yeah, it's just not tons of fun diving around for a for a ball. But uh, on that note, I'll, I'll let you go. How can we find you? Uh, well, you can find me at, uh, at bluejaysplus.com and uh, on Twitter at uh, cw sherwin. Uh, it's my Twitter handle, which is just, uh, it's just my initials, CW, my first middle name, and my last name, Sherwin. Excellent. Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, much appreciated. Hopefully we can do this again soon. Absolutely. Love talking about this stuff, man, anytime. And there you go. That was Chris Sherwin and our very own Charlie Kasky talking about some pitcher's mechanics, and that was a pretty awesome discussion. I'm glad we could get Chris on this week uh, and after the, the failed attempt last last podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it was great having him on, and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have him on again because uh, I could talk about that sort of stuff. You know, I'm I'm no expert, so anytime I get the chance to talk to 
someone like Chris who knows his stuff. It's it's a learning experience for me. So sounds you know, like I a kid him. in a candy store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so um, um, hopefully we'll have him back on again soon. Well, with the long weekend coming up, and there's the All Star Game. There aren't very many games this week. We probably won't do another podcast for a little while, uh, and we'll get caught up. Um, well, we'll see. We'll, we don't like making those uh, solid plans too far in advance, right, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's keep it flexible. We'll right. play by beer. <laughs> so with the All Star Game coming up on next Tuesday, um, yeah, the, we'll we'll probably leave it for maybe the following Sunday um, and see how things are after that. So that'll be about nine days from now. We'll say yeah. uh, we'll set a rough date, pencil it in. Um, Pencil then we'll do a preview of the uh, the Jays uh, in Seattle series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can run through all the different beers I'm going to drink down there. Um, yeah, the list then, of yeah, craft we, beers is pretty sensational. I was looking, it at is it. unbelievable, man. And Safeco is it's miles different than I guess what the Rogers Center or Skydome, whatever the hell it is, had yeah. someone a craft beer company last year. They had they Steam Whistle they, for or they booted them out this yeah. year or something like that. Over a uh, tweet or something over, ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. It was something yeah. ridiculous that they, they decided to end their relationship. So, yeah, who knows, man. Sometimes the, uh, the, the media front of, of Rogers is kind of what they project is <laughs> absolutely disgusting, but... I mean, how can you not have craft beer? Even Trevor Linden was on the Team 1040 this week talking about getting craft beer into uh, GM Place. Yeah, we'll see which craft beer they bring. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm not willing to get you know too Open excited over that. <laughs> Plus, you can't have it in the press box either, so I, I'm out of the, yeah. the question. You're, you're a consummate <laughs> professional, buddy. Surely we don't drink before these podcasts ever. No, no, not during either. <laughs> Well, Charlie, enjoy your your drink out on the deck tonight, and enjoy your long weekend. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, for those listening to BC, um, there's the dogs yapping at the at the neighbors. Happy BC Day, long weekend, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll catch up soon. Get in touch with us with uh, email yourvancs at gmail dot com uh, or on Twitter. He's Charlie Kasky. His last name C A S K E Y. I'm Greg Ballack, S T. B-A-L-L-O-C-H-S-T. If you listen on iTunes, thanks for subscribing and listen on SoundCloud or just follow us on Twitter. Uh, Keep up the good work and keep the tweets coming um, because we love referencing them on the Your Van Seas Weekly Podcast. Any final words, Charlie? No. um, Well, let's hope the small train comes to Vancouver soon. (laughs) I'll keep keep (laughs) our eyes peeled on Twitter for that to break. I'm I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. Fingers Uh, crossed. So until next time, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening uh, to this episode of Your Van Seas Weekly Podcast.